And thanks to Cry Malt, this is Radio Brews News. My name's Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News, and um, like most times this week, I'm not actually joined by my good friend, colleague, and uh, regular co-host, Pete Mitchum. I'm flying solo. It's uh, January. Happy New Year. Um, and Pete's on very much on uh, family and festival duties at the moment. So we've had a long enough hiatus. We are trying to be regular, as regular listeners will know. So rather than uh, delay it a- any longer, um, we're doing this show with me flying solo. Two great interviews say, in fact, two, uh, one of my all-time favourite interview subjects, the Pope of Foam himself, Professor Charlie Bamforth is uh, joining us very shortly. And also, in a related sort of conversation, we're speaking to a brewer who has set up a brewery in Western Australia in which one of their beers is made using 90% unmalted barley. So a really great show for you today. Uh, We won't go into too much of a discussion or news without Pete here. I can't believe that anyone wants to sit and listen to me uh, soapbox, um, and certainly the feedback suggests that that might be the case, and it's uh, much more a discussion between Pete and I about these sorts of things that you're listening for. But as I said, rather than wait any longer um, for a show, we are going to put one out this week. Um, next week, if you are a, a regular listener, uh, we are going to be recording a live show or broadcasting a live show that will also then be put out as a uh, delayed podcast um, on Australia Day for the launch of the Hottest 100. Voting has now closed for the Hottest 100 craft beers presented by the Great Australian Beer Spectacular, or GABS. Um, But we are going to be recording, uh, broadcasting the last hour and a half, two hours of that um, as we count down uh, 20 to 1 and then have a bit of a discussion about what that means. We've got some great guests uh, that we're lining up. um, So listen out for that on January 26th. Uh, Depending on your local time, uh, it will be during the last 20. Um, We will finalise the details state by state and the times and we will put a link to that on the front page of Australian Brewers News and also send a, a link out in our daily digest so you can follow live to that next week but it'll be a great show last year's show was very well received we had a it's still one of our highest rating shows so it's certainly well worth listening and with the live uh broadcasting you will be able to phone in and uh, ask questions of our guests and uh certainly uh give your thoughts about the way that the 2015 hottest 100 comes about but without any further ado, uh, we'll get on and talk to Professor Charles Banforth, or Charlie as he lets us call him. Um, Charlie Banf- Banforth is the Anheuser-Busch Endowed Professor of Malting and Brewing Sciences at UC Davis in, Davis in uh, California. He's one of the greats uh, when it comes to knowledge and love of brewing. But he, And whilst he has a career that spans the highly technical, um, scientific and brewer training, and he works very closely with many of the big brewers. He's a man who, uh, as you'll hear me say during the interview, walks the middle way when it comes to beer. He has a genuine love for beer and the spirit of it, and uh, I'm sure that will come through in our interview. Um, So without any further ado, let's welcome Charlie Bamforth to the show. Charlie Bamforth, welcome back to Australian Brews News. It's been far too long. Yeah, you tell me five years. That's a a heck of a long time. Yeah, it was. It was. 2011, when uh, back when you had come out with uh, Beer is Proof, God's Love uh, Loves Us, your wonderful book, uh, which is still one of my favourite books. Yeah, it's, that's a book that either people love it or hate it. But there you go. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, that was a very important book to me. Wow, it's that long ago, is it? My word. Yeah, yeah really. And why do people hate that book? It, it's, it's, it's. I think when we spoke to you at the time, uh, you know, you, you describe it as being beer the middle way, which 
take strides that bit between big beer and craft beer that that divide and looking at the the middle way between those two, which is very much what we wanted to talk about today. But I can't imagine anyone. Uh, not enjoying that book. Well, I think I think most of the people who didn't enjoy it, the ones who signed up for Kindle, got it on Kindle, and 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 they see all these endnotes and they keep trying to flick back and forwards. <laughs> oh, okay. So it's the mechanics, not the content. I, yeah, I, I would hope so. Yeah, but um, I, it's interesting. I I, uh, I it's terribly egotistical, but occasionally I look at Amazon and see what the reviews look like, and and. Uh, and a review said uh, it was uh, it was too academic, and the last thing in the world it is is academic. But anyway, you know. Wow! Oh, that's uh, I, I find that astounding, and I, I actually have it in audiobook version, uh, Kindle right. and hard copy version, and uh, right. the, the, you, you don't quite get the endnotes uh, at all in in the audiobook no. version. But no, the, the other two are, are, are very good. Well, that was interesting. Are you talking about the one where the guy read it, the actor? I mean, there's a guy reading it, and he he uh, he called me and he said, I, "I I'm I ought to tell you I'm I'm recording your book for you." And I said, "Well, why am I not recording my own book?" Um, <laughs> so, so he's recording it in a very American accent, and and to be to perfectly honest, Matt, I can't listen to it. I, I <laughs> it makes me cringe to to listen to it. So um, it's it's quite interesting. Oh, well, maybe uh, that could be a project for Australian Brewers News. We can just get you to read it out to us, maybe a chapter a night as a bedtime story. <laughs> Put you to sleep, yeah. <laughs> well, no, sweet sweet dreams, perhaps. Of course, oh, absolutely right. <laughs> now, as I indicated, what actually, we might just sort of see what you've been up to since then. I know that you did bring out uh, another book um, that I've uh, purchased recently when I was uh, preparing for this interview, and I haven't made much inroads into it, but that was... Uh, Beer tap into the art and science of brewing, which actually does sound a lot more academic, but it's still very reason readable from uh, from my early um, reading of it. Yeah, uh, actually, that's the, the the one you've got. I hope is the third edition, and um, the the very first edition of that was was my first beer book a while ago. So uh, that that then we went through a second edition. The one you've probably got is the third edition. I'm actually supposed to have completed the fourth edition by now, but uh, it's 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 taken a back seat. But yeah, that's um, that's intended to be for um, you know the not you know it's not intended for the beer geek. It really is intended for somebody who really wants to understand um, what is involved in in beer and the complexities of beer. Uh, so again, it's not supposed to be academic, but equally, it's not uh, in any way trying to sort of trivialize the. Uh, with the subject, so I actually use that as a, a textbook for a, a class I teach on campus, and we'll be teaching it online. It will be available online, and I'm actually going to teach it for the second time uh, on a study abroad class in uh, in England, in Nottingham, England, uh, next summer. Um, and uh, it's 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 used as a, uh, the the uh, the textbook for that also introductory class to beer and brewing. Um, so it's not it's not for the 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 overt specialist, but it really is for the person who's kind of um, wants to understand beer and uh, what goes into beer. Um, and I would like a, a read of it from somebody who's not going to trivialize it, uh, but equally is not going to uh, confound them with science. Okay, well, we, I mean, we, we might uh, crack on into some of the topics we wanted to talk about today. And one of those, as I uh, as I highlighted, is looking at what can still be regarded as the middle way, and that is over the last probably 12 to 18 months, we've really seen the discussion around beer focus less on craft brewing and mainstream brewing 
and discussing the increasing meaningless of the idea of the term craft beer. Um, as, as we've seen, the small breweries grow out and start to you know, enter the mainstream and also some of the brewing practices uh, change that they employ um, change a little bit. Does the term craft mean anything to you? Um, it does. And I, I wrote a, an article about this recently for the uh, the, uh, the Brewery and Distillery International. And uh, to me, a craftsperson um, who is a person who does something and does it well and, and consistently well and with great excellence and with great dedication. Uh, what it doesn't say to me is, is anything to do with size. You know, uh, you can have great craftspeople who are, who are doing things in... In a, in a very tiny room and, 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 and churning out things uh, by hand, if you like. Equally, you know, you can have people who have got who are so good at what they do uh, that they uh, they can churn out things on a much bigger scale, but consistently well and, and excellently. So I, I don't think a craftsperson has anything to do with size. I think it's all to do with attitude and uh, the, the determination uh, to produce great beer in this, in this context, no matter what type of beer it is. Whether it's a, a fairly gently flavoured product or a, a really intensely flavoured product, so to me, a craftsperson is somebody who is is well trained and uh, got all the right attitudes. And the, the point I make in in that article is that, you know, um, technical brewers they get together, and 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 there's tremendous um, conviviality and social empathy between. Uh, brewers and and you know over here in the United States we have things like the Master Brewers Association in Americas and of course that I'm the president of the Institute of Brewing and Distilling, and and in those uh, those arenas you know you got people from the biggest of companies and from the smallest of companies and they're exchanging ideas and problems and helping one another. Um, so really it, it gets to the sales and marketing when things cut up rough you know and get really nasty and certain business practices and so on. So so I'm not sure that everything is rosy in the world of brewing, but I am adamant that, you know, technical people in the world of beer, uh, they're all part of a, I don't want to use the term fraternity or sorority or whatever it is, but they're all part of the club. And, um, and uh, you know, they're in it together. Uh, it's, it's when it gets to the sort of the uh, more commercial end that uh, things get quite nasty. And, and looking at that, one of the uh, legs of the tripod definition of the American Brewers Association is this idea that craft brewers are traditional. Um, what, what does that mean to you? Or what, what do you see them as getting at in that element of traditional brewing? Well, you know, I don't absolutely know that because, it, you know, uh, I think what they're, they're almost in a sort of Reinheitsgebot mentality of mold hops, yeast and, and water. And yet... You look at the sorts of things they're saying. They're, they're basically saying the big guys are, are, are not doing things properly. They're saying they're using things like rice and corn. Well, you know, Anos and Bush have been using rice for over 100 years. Surely it's become traditional by now. <laughs> um, and yet, on the other hand, you know, there's a brewery in Colorado, and they're putting uh, Rocky Mountain oysters into the beer. Now, I, I don't know what the equivalent is in Australia, uh, but, you know, the, you know, the, um, the gonads of a bull, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, it's hardly traditional. It's hard, what do you call them as a matter of interest? What, what's a Rocky Mountain oyster? Oh, sorry, uh, 
Bull's testicles. I don't think uh, you don't, you don't do that in Australia. You see, You're no, more, no, more we civilized over there. You see, but, but you a, see, a New Zealand brewer did recently use uh, deer semen, though. Yeah, well, there you go. Now, what the hell is traditional about that sort of thing? <laughs> um, so, so to me, it, it's 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 flawed. The whole concept is flawed. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, I like Charlie Pepe's. You know, I like his what he's done uh, for, for beer and encourage enthusiasm. But it is, it is all a bit artificial, you know. Over here, definition in the States of a craft brewer is less than 6 million barrels, you know. That is, that's equivalent to the output of Denmark, you know, <laughs> for, for goodness sake. And, and let's not kid ourselves. It's to keep one brewing company as part of the club. And, um, and I don't think that's healthy as a definition of craft beer. A brewing company that actually uh, markets and advertises on television nationally, you know, um, to me, is that a, what people would think of as a craft brewer uh, or brewery or, or a smaller brewery? I, I don't think so. Um, so I think the whole thing is, is a little bit political and, and, uh, uh, and certainly complex. Um, so, you know, I'm 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 not an apologist for the big guys, but you know I, I I know for a fact they use some of these materials like rice to get a certain style of product, and if you like that style of product, it's okay. It's okay to like that style of product. You, you know, it's it would be wrong to say it's somehow bad, and 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 they've been doing it. A company like that, they've been doing it for a very 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 long time, um, and so surely by now it 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 should be realised that it's it's one style of beer. And you, you have a choice. You either drink it or you don't drink it. And if you don't want to drink it, don't abuse or criticize other people uh, for wanting to drink it. And the same thing applies to, to other types of drink as well. It's what you want, you know. Mm. And, and I guess one, in addition to rice and corn and uh, cane sugar, which is one of the ones yeah. that's used over here, and has tradi- it actually has been used traditionally in yeah. Australia for a whole range of reasons. Of course. But then we've also seen, you know, uh, inverted commas, industrial processes, for example, the use of pre-isomerized hop extracts. <laughs> um, the, well, the yeah, of- one of your companies over there pioneered it. You know, than mm. anybody. I mean, that, that's the one I always uh, flag up as the company that really pioneered that uh, that approach. And you know, you you technically and, and technologically, um, there's a lot of scientific uh, success in that. Um, it's up to an individual to decide whether they that is the the you know the the type of product they they do or do not wish to consume. And at the end of the day, you know, it's it, it's what people are going to buy. You know? And that definition is becoming very blurred these days when uh, you start to see in, in the US um, a number of brewers have started using Brewers Clarex, which was an enzyme designed to uh, prevent uh, chill haze yeah. um, in, in the beer. And it's also been discovered to, I believe the, the, the concept is denature the uh, gluten enzymes to render it effectively gluten-free even in an all-malt beer. And a number of brewers, including one over here, has started using that as in a inverted commas craft beer, um, but to capitalise on the gluten on, on the growth of gluten um, awareness in diets. Yeah. And 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 you know that's a that's a very good topic area to discuss because um, we've done a lot of work in my brewery and my laboratory on this very topic. And, you know, I've got a a great little brewery here and um, we work with a lot of people who wish to develop uh, new beers. And there's a lot of them that are interested in developing gluten-free beers. And, of course, there are two ways to go. 
One is to use uh, raw materials that don't contain any gluten. So you've got, you know, the, the buckwheat and the sorghums and the quinoas and so on and so forth. But the other approach is is the enzymic approach in using Brewer's Clarex because that enzyme does chop up and get rid of the problematic materials. And we've done a lot of work to, to prove that is the case. Uh, and the difference, of course, is that, you know, with, when you've got other materials, you produce products that have categorically got a different sort of mainstream flavor uh, than you would have with uh, a, a, a barley malt-based beer. Um, with the, the use of the enzyme, you can actually produce uh, beers that are, you know, you, you, you wouldn't know that they were gluten-free. You'd say, well, that's that's another nice, nice, nice multi-pilsner or IPA or whatever it is. Um, so fundamentally, it boils down to the fact whether people are or are not prepared to use uh, commercial enzymes. Um, I come from a tradition, um, and I, you know, when I was with the Bass Company in the UK, we actually used enzymes. We we had no difficulty with doing that. Um, so if a company is prepared to use um, a commercial enzyme such as Clarex, um, then that opens tremendous um, opportunities. And and in my view, in my view, to those people who are genuinely sensitive to uh, gluten. And who want to experience beers that are um, beers that uh, perhaps they they recall from perhaps before they were diagnosed or before they developed the condition or what have you. If they want to taste great malt, multi-flavored beers, this gives them an opportunity to do so. And so what's to say it's wrong, you know? Uh, It's a perfectly wholesome material to be using. Um, and, and, you know, there's uh, a lot of interest in it. And I, I personally um, applaud that um, because, uh, again, it comes to the fact that you, what you're doing is presenting people with, uh, with uh, options. And if people choose to use those options, then, then so be it, either as a consumer or as a, as a brewer. And, um, and so I think to, to, to make these uh, different uh, approaches available is, is a very worthwhile thing. That said, I will also, um, there was another brewery that started just before Christmas and I'm running an interview with uh, the, the brewer um, as part of this episode of the, of the show and they've started making a beer with 90% unmalted barley <laughs> and adding enzymes and I'll just read you a quote from um, Beer is Proof where you, you, you discuss this um, and you say, there is nothing technically novel here, although the marketing push is clever indeed. The problem remains one of taste. Malt makes a meaningful contribution to the flavour of many beers. Barley is, well, grainy and astringent. One would have great difficulty trying to match the taste and aroma of a given brand made from, on one hand, beer from malt, and on the other hand, from raw barley. Yeah, totally true. And indeed, ironically, uh, I was teaching a class today, and I I talked about that very thing. And I said, you know, if you're going to, um, be uh, wanting to use something like um, raw barley and enzymes, the time to make that decision is when you're establishing the brand uh, and indeed establishing the brewery. So it's when you're going into it afresh. So you couldn't you couldn't do, I don't know, let's take some of your product. You couldn't make Castlemaine Forex or or Victoria Bitter or, you know, you name it, Cascade with uh, 100% barley and get exactly the same flavor as you've got now. But could you, uh, the way I usually call it over here is the Dog's Rear End Brewing Company in Montana or something. Um, somebody's starting, that's, that's not a real brewery, by the way. That's the one I would fictitiously 
uh, come up with, and that's the one I would found, the Dogs Posterior Brewing Company. Um, <laughs> and, and the way, the, the time to start doing the barley is right from the beginning. So you set your flavor profile um, based on a barley-based grist. Does it make sense? Is there, is there an environmental logic uh, to using um, a lot of barley um, uh, rather than malt? Of course there is. There's a lot less water usage involved in the process. Um, there's a lot of less energy demand on it. Um, but the, the reality is you can't make an existing product that way. Um, but, of course, uh, in many parts of the world, including Australia, uh, there is a long history of using a lot of raw barley. And uh, there's a very significant brewing company in Sydney that used to do it. Oh, which one? <laughs> I'm not sure. I suppose I suppose to say it, but uh, it. Let's put it this way: it rhymes with phooey. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but uh, um, you know, I uh, you know, the, 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 it was uh, a while. I never forget. Um, uh, oh, what's the guy who came over from uh, from Coors went over to Australia and he's Ch- Chuck Hunt. Chuck. I'll never forget Chuck. Uh, uh, somebody made a presentation at an uh, uh, institute meeting down there once, and they were talking about the uh, the development of the new Pilot Brewery, and uh, uh, in that company, and they were talking about the use of uh, of malt. And he said, uh, "Malt? That's that's a bit of a first, isn't it?" <laughs> <And> <laughs> I think he was being sarcastic. But but you know, barley brewing gets reinvented every twenty, thirty years, and it's been reinvented now. And, of course, the people who are reinventing it are the people who will sell enzymes. So, you know, it, 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 it comes down to a decision of what you want to achieve. What, what I said regarding to the Brewer's Clarex is, you know, you, you, you're, you're using malt and you're using traditional materials, but you're just putting this enzyme and this allows you to have it gluten-free. Um, uh, and I think that's a legitimate approach. It is also an entirely legitimate approach, a legitimate approach to use a lot of raw barley with enzymes, um, as long as you're not, you know, adhering to the Reinheitsgebot. boat. Um, but again, it, 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 it's something that the beer has to be designed on the basis of that as the, uh, as the grist. So do, do you think that a craft beer, that, that, you know, you, you can sort of have a concept of a craft beer with a beer that uses um, enzymes without the, given, given malting has always over the seven, eight, nine thousand years of um, brewing, beer has always had to uh, be made from barley that has gone through a process. Uh, are we starting to get away from that idea of tra- uh, traditional craft when we start using you know, 90, 100% unmalted barley? Well, again, I come back to the same point. You know, if, if somebody said to me, here's a beer that is made with um, raw barley, and here is a beer that's made with 100% the finest floor-malted Maris Otter, and it's got the finest noble hops, um, but also it's got deer semen in it. I know which one, <laughs> I, know which one I prefer. I, I'd, go, I'd go for the raw barley every time, you know? Um, so, so to me, you know, malt is 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 a beautiful step forward from barley. So my preference would always be for fine, good quality malt. But it is barley; it's just been sprouted and dried. So it's still barley. And do I worry about commercial enzymes? No, I I don't worry about commercial enzymes at all because you've also got to remember that that barley is not sterile. You know, there's all sorts of stuff that lives on barley, lots of bacteria and so on. I, I, my daughter was telling me that she'd read something somewhere about what the proportion of the human being was that was actually bacterial. 
rather than, and it's a fairly disturbing number. But the same thing applies for barley as well. And, and some of those bacteria and, and fungi and so on are, are providing enzymes and provide, and they've got an input. Uh, all they're doing with a commercial enzyme is you, you're, you're concentrating the enzyme, basically. You're making it in a pot and you're adding it in. So, I, you know, lots of people hate the idea. They're anti the use of additional enzymes. And, and I respect them for that opinion. But uh, I come from a tradition. We used to use a lot of beta-glucanase um, in, in bass. And, of course, we, we used it to, you know, help equalize differences between different batches of malt in the, in the brew house. And uh, at the end of the day, we reckon we got 1% more wort per annum um, because of using this enzyme, knowing full well that when you boil the wort, you kill off the enzyme. So, you know, these enzymes, are, they're coming from organisms, you know, and one organism is Hordeum vulgari or Hordeum disticon, and another enzyme might be Trichoderma or it might be whatever. You know, they're, they're, they're enzymes, for goodness sake. They're coming from living organisms. I wouldn't be too keen on having human enzymes put in there, you know. Uh, but then again, you know, if you're a chicha Indian, quichua Indian in uh, wherever it is, you're you're salivating and, you know, heaving great dollops of grain from your mouth into a bucket. And I, I don't particularly fancy that. I think I'd sooner have a, a bacterial enzyme than that. But yeah, And yeah. you then using the human enzyme. Yeah, course. yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> You know, it, it it really is all shades of opinion. You know, and 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 I, I find it, I find it ironic to that that people should should actually pontificate about what is okay and and what is not. You know, a Trappist monk uses candy sugar. You know, it puts puts sugar beet, a derived sugar beet, into the boil to to make Trappist beers, and of course is celebrated being as being a brewer of wonderful beers which they are. But if another brewer puts high maltose syrup into a kettle, a big brewer somewhere in, in the UK or America, and they put high maltose syrup into a, a kettle, somehow they're, they're cheap and nasty people, you know, that are trying to cheat the customer. And they, who's making that judgment, you know? Who's making that judgment? You know, people talk about rice and, and corn. Last time I checked, rice and corn were, for the most part, starch. And the last time I checked, barley was, for the most part, starch. Um, and wheat was, for the most part, starch, you know. And, 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 and who has the right to declare this form of starch superior to that form of starch and so on? So I, I totally understand why people want um, a traditional approach. But you've got to be consistent. And, and if you are saying, you know, I, I admire the Germans for that consistency. They say it's got to be malt, hop, yeast, and water. The Rheinheitz, well, that's what it's got to be. And I, I can live with that, but but you know to, to say that something like rice is non-traditional, but bulgonads is okay is is, <laughs> is bizarre. It's it's frankly bizarre. In, in your book, you talk about the legendary Fritz Maytag yeah. saying, "A beer has to taste right here," gesturing yeah. to his heart as much as it does here, pointing to his head. Yeah. Um. And and that's something that's stuck with me. And, and I hear you talk about that. And intellectually, I can see, um, that what you're saying is exactly right. But then I think of something like um, cheese, for example. I love cheese and I love the, uh, the interplay and the, the parallels between beer and cheese. And I look at something like a, a Cabot's cheddar um, from Vermont that's been aged and you know, in caves, it's been naturally made um, and e e eating it is a wonderful experience. And then I look at uh, the cheese that gets put on McDonald's um, that comes plastic wrapped and can sort of sit uh, 
without undergoing any process or change um, for months. Um, and I sort of think, well, they're, they're both cheese. One is the uh, high art of food science where they're able to make it perfectly consistible and down to a price and um, you know, perfectly the same time after time after time. But there's just something in my heart that doesn't feel the same way about the two. Yeah, and, and I get that totally. Um, and I totally understand it. Um, and I, you know, the artisan, if you like, sort of um, element of it, that here is something that is, 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 is somehow unique and a unique combination arrived at in a certain place at a certain time and a certain location and it's very special. I, I get all that. I get all that. Um, and I, I suppose the analogy that people will come up with, you know, you know to, 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 to relate to what you have said would be, you know, you get these uh, produce very large volumes in very big fermenters of um, very uh, uh, gently flavored products that are um, very consistent, uh, entirely predictable and possibly not especially interesting. Um, um, my argument is um, that's not a bad thing, um, you know, because lots of people prefer that, and that's what they want to drink, you know. And, and one thing that I've encountered over here, you know, I go to places to talk, and um, I remember being in Madison, Wisconsin, and, and these students, I was talking to them at the university there, and they were saying, you know, we, we've taken all these wonderful craft beers back to our, you know, mums and dads and our aunts and uncles, and, and they say, oh, I don't want to drink that rubbish. I, I want a Miller. Yeah. And that's what people want to drink. Uh, and there's lots of people, people eat it in McDonald's as well, you know. Mm. Um, and um, what they're looking for is tremendous predictability and consistency. And, and that, I think, is a, a perfectly acceptable thing and a very worthy thing to have. And because people are doing that and uh, preferring that style of product does not make them bad people. Um, so do I have those beers um, uh, adorning my refrigerator at the moment? <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, what I have um, are, you know, I, tonight I just had a narwhal, which comes from Sierra Nevada. It's a, a fur. Oh, no, and uh, we, yeah, we can get it over here. Yeah, and if you can get it barrel aged in bourbon barrels, so much oh. better. It's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful beer. And I love it very much. Um, but it comes from a brewery that also prides themselves on making sure that the next bottle of narwhal will taste exactly like this one. And the next one after that will taste exactly like this one. They will all be outstanding and superbly good. The difference is it's a, a very big beer, whereas uh, some of the uh, well-known North American brands are, are not uh, you know, intensely flavored. The, 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 the important thing is they're all well-crafted and, and I think uh, uh, well done. And it, it's up to you to decide uh, whether or not uh, it is the beer of choice for you or for the occasion, you know. Um, you know, thankfully, it's raining today, throwing it down, which is wonderful. We need all the rain we can get in Northern California. Um, but in the middle of summer, you know, when it's, it's 37 Celsius outside or 40 Celsius uh, outside, um, you know, Narwhal is not necessarily the beer that I would be drinking uh, after you know, trudging through the the garden or the yard here, and I probably want something a little bit more refreshing. You know, so it's horses for courses. It's 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 totally horses for courses. Uh, but the point again is, it, it's like I say to to my students. You know, most of them, let's be frank, that they, they want to join 
their definition of the craft sector, which I, I guess what they're talking about is the smaller brewing companies. And the last thing in the world they want to do is join the big guys. And what I say to them is, you know, it doesn't matter what scale you're on. You are brewing beer. You have all the same challenges. You've got the same challenges of seasonal variation in the crops. Uh, you've got to worry about the yeast quality. You've got to worry about the water uh, and so on and so forth. The difference is um, on a big scale, you'll be managing it uh, or doing it by managing other people. And you'll see a lot of, uh, of uh, automated control on a computer screen. If you're on the small scale, you have a big pair of boots, uh, a bucket, and a shovel, and um, you know, but you're still brewing beer. And there'll be different styles of beer, but either way, people are still trying to, trying to achieve and strive for for excellence and to meet the the needs of of the customer, whether that customer wants um, you know the Joe six pack type beer. Or whether that customer wants uh, uh, a, a, a more complex uh, entity, should we say? Moving on to, uh, I guess all of these are con- conceptually related in some way. But one of the, it, it's it's not necessarily spoken, but it's often implied in the craft beer movement that brewers are somehow taking us back to a time when beer was better, and that the beers that we're drinking have. Uh, you know, a connection with an an older style beer. Um, so porters are, are brewed now, and there's all of the stories told about porters of 200 years ago, and then the India Pale Ale, and it's uh, related back to the time. Have we ever consumed beers in all of history that taste like they do now? No, and I don't. You know, let's take the IPA. I'm not sure that an IPA now, uh, certainly the concept of one here on the west coast of America. Uh, has very much similarity to what IPA would have been as shipped from England to um, to uh, to India. Um, you know, it's, it, the, the story is well told that the the product um, was um, intended to to you know last the, the the sea passage and therefore needed to be quite alcoholic and quite bitter uh, to prevent bacteria from growing. But of course, the the, the hop bitter acids uh, would not, and the alcohol would not do anything about things like Brettanomyces, uh, the, the yeast named in honor of the British, for goodness sake, um, with its, uh, its delicious uh, contributions of, of uh, you know, um, damp horse blanket and, and mouse pee. Um, and so, you know, I think an authentic IPA back in the day, if you were in, in India, a part of the Raj, I think you would have been fairly familiar with barnyard flavors. Uh, and certainly not so much the hop aroma. So I think the concept is coming back, uh, but not necessarily accurate in terms of, uh, of of the style of the beer. You know, the original porter, uh, the very first porters would have been made with malt that was dried over burning wood and would have been very, very coarse, and a lot of smoky flavors, probably not the nice Roish beer uh, well, nice-ish. I'm not a big fan of that myself, but they saw the, the smoky bacon type flavor. It would have been a coarser flavor than that before it was cleaned up and uh, with, with different ways of drying and different approaches. Um, so I think there's a lot of interest. I think people are going back to uh, in, to look back and, and they're getting ideas, but they're tweaking them. For example, to the best of my knowledge, there was never any such a thing as a black IPA in uh, in the United Kingdom. 
But of course, uh, I'm not sure these have got to Australia, but over here, there are a number of black IPAs. And they're basically uh, Guinness meets IPA with an intense roast character and this wonderful hop aroma. And I just love them. I think they're tremendously well-balanced beers. But they, they're, they're really not founded on historical fact. No, and, and then we're seeing hoppy saisons and yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, hop and vices. Yeah, and are, you getting, are you getting dry hop pilsners? Well, that's what we're getting over here. And, and you know, yep. there's, there's, no, there's no end to that. And, and some of them are, are very wonderful, and some of them not so, not so. Um, so the wonderful thing about all this is, is, is the innovation and the, the interest in, in pushing the envelope I personally prefer it to be pushed in sensible ways. Um, and, and I think, you know, as I think I, I say in, in that book, and certainly in, in one or two others, if we are going to learn anything from a wine person, it's celebrating our traditional raw materials and, and making far more play of, of different malts and different hop varieties and so on. And I think that's happening, and that's a wonderful thing. But over here, you know, not too long ago, I was up in, uh, in the Pacific Northwest, well, actually Northern California, up in the Humboldt County, and, you know, I had a beer that was, it was a chili beer. And in all my, I mean, I, I'm English, you know, I love curry. But I've never, ever in my life had a curry which made me, you know, which challenged me like this chili beer. I mean, it was outrageous. And it was, it was you know, why do it? Well, we just want to go to an extreme. And that's damn foolish in my opinion. At the same time, the same company makes this crazy raspberry beer. And it's just like drinking raw, concentrated raspberry juice. And, and I find no pleasure in that. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's worthwhile, worthy to explore the options. But I think people have, have, have got to be sensible. And it, it, it's far more logical uh, to start off by making sensible beers rather than push, the, push to the extremes. You know, if you want to occasionally push to the extreme. That's fine, but you've really got to grow up first and, and be able to make really good beers uh, before you try to, 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 to really go to extremes. Have you read any Bill Bryson by any chance? Yeah, John? I love him. I, I, I mean, I, he makes me cry with laughter. So, uh, yeah, did, did you read the short history of the world? Uh, which is where, where he, or a short history of nearly everything, where he describes, he goes through uh, evolution and yeah. uh, about everything. And he talks about this period of the Cambrian explosion when it was almost as if the earth was trying out life in all of its many forms. And the most bizarre life forms sprung up, but they died off very, very quickly. I've described uh, beer or craft beer as being in that stage at the moment where craft brewers are throwing up every possible permutation. Yeah. But most of them are going to die off because they are impractical and, uh, you know, apart from the experiment, there is a reason for them to survive. Yeah, and I think that's an extremely good uh, way of view and a good analogy. I mean, it, it, is, it is true, you know, and, and I don't know if this chili beer, this raspberry beer is still in the marketplace, but, you know, there'll be some people who will, they'll go for it Simply to say, hey, I, you know, I've drunk that chili beer. It's no problem. It's like it's like if you go to any restaurant, you know, when I, you know, the Vindaloo, you know, I mean, you'd only have that really if you wanted to impress somebody, you know, and and if you want to enjoy yourself, <laughs> you have something that's a bit more mellow, um, probably. Uh, okay, some people would like it, but 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 for a lot of people, not so much. So, so I think you're right that that um, you know there will be people who will, that, that they'll try. They're interested in trying some of these products, but I think novelty only goes so far. 
And I'm sure there are people who will drink the, the, the Rocky Mountain Oyster Star and say, okay, I've got to try it once, but I'm going to move on now. Incidentally, that beer, I am told, although I refuse to drink it, that beer, I'm told, I mean, is a good beer, but the character of it has nothing. It owes nothing whatsoever um, to that. I mean, I can remember, I think the Japanese years ago made some spirit or other with gold flakes in it and so on. And it's, it's a gimmick. It's a gimmick. And gimmicks only go so far, you know. They're, they're transient. It's like, you know, when I was a kid, they used to put different sort of things in cereal packets and breakfast cereals, you know, and, you, you know, they put toys in them and so on. And then you move on to the next gimmick and the next gimmick. But all the time, the, 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 the basis of that uh, foodstuff or that product is a fairly well-known uh, type of, um, uh, of, of flavor and a, a well-known uh, uh, prospect um and, and the rest of it is is just about you know marketing and and look at me look at me the next uh, shiny thing yeah yeah but but in, in talking about that i guess even brewers and we've touched on this idea of traditional but even brewers uh small brewers who have a, a small brewery and talk about themselves brewing in a traditional way they still have access to science and facilities that uh give them much more control over the process that in any time in history, so they can precisely control temperatures that brewers have never been able to do 200 years ago when porters were first being made. Yes, indeed. I, I touched upon that today in one of my regular diatribes against uh, decoction mashing. You know, I mean, I, I still don't understand why anybody in 2016 would ever think of doing that. Um, and it was a technology that was founded on an absence of thermometers and, and a, a fundamental uh, ignorance of, of what was really happening. Great brewers, but they knew nothing about enzymes and they knew nothing about temperature control. Therefore, they needed to do that. Um, they were so, going on experience, not on Yeah, knowledge. and like I stressed today, they were great, great, great brewers. They worked it out, how to get the best out of uh, the malt that was available. That's tr tremendously admirable. But in the year 2016, we know all about enzymes to the nth degree. We can control things to the nth degree. And therefore, we can do things in a much more controlled and, and reliable way. So earlier on, we, you know, I, I got distracted a, a little bit um, by this diatribe about you know, India IPA. But, but yeah, if you go back, and probably if you go back to when I was first starting to drink beer uh, at a younger than should be age, uh, probably the beer was not as consistent then as it is now. And certainly if you go back uh, 50, 100 years, um, um, actually, 50 years is just a little bit before I started drinking, but uh, so I was pretty young. But anyway, um, if you go back, you know, people did not have the same control. Uh, think of oxygen levels, you know. The oxygen levels in packaged beers in most parts of the world these days are vanishingly low, you know. Whereas, you know, when I started in the industry, you know, the levels that were considered to be acceptable for oxygen in a bottle of beer were substantially higher than they are now. So in terms of the shelf life, uh, beer should be uh, as fresh as it's ever been. Um, so technology has taken us, uh, taken us a long way. And, and, and frankly, these, these big guys are damn good at applying that technology. You know, it's, it's, it's also a very interesting thing. If you look uh, at the craft industry, as is referred to over here, the smaller breweries over here, many of them, Many of them, certainly some of the most significant players, they have taken a lot of people from the big guys. You know, they have um, seen that it's worth their while to uh, to appoint 
brewers that um, with consolidation and so on in the bigger companies are now available and they've lapped them, they've, you know, they've snaffled them up very, very quickly because they know they're damn good brewers, damn good brewers, you know, and they want them on the payroll. Um, so, you know, you think of some, some and one, one or two brewers over here that are very rude about the big guys, but my goodness, they've, uh, they've certainly employed um, uh, brewers from the likes of Anheuser Busch. And, it, and it's interesting because to, to, to bring the um, uh, discussion around to, I, I guess, its uh, end, um, over here we've seen, uh, as you've seen in the States, beer consumption declining overall. We've seen more people turn to wine. And um, so beer has been fighting what the brewers here call share of throat, a battle for share of throat and keep people drinking beer. And uh, Lion has launched a, a campaign called Beer the Beautiful Truth. Um, and it's an attempt um to cast beer as a naturally occurring product and cover it with the same romance that wine has had to counter the threat of wine. But you talked about beer is much more consistent than it was 50 years ago, and that is because we have become much better at employing science in the brew house rather than artistry. Do you think that um, campaigns such as Beer the Beautiful Truth, um, where they're trying to get back to nature, make it seem that beer is getting back to nature, is telling the wrong story about what beer is, and beer really is us mastering the you know the the, the chemistry and, and and the science of food making rather than you know uh, being very much a uh, uh, you know a, a, a natural spontaneously occurring process. I, I think it's entirely right to uh, portray beer as being a worthy component of society. It, it truly is. I mean, beer, I've written extensively about this, uh, uh, is beer, uh, in moderation, is uh, a healthier drink than wine. Um, is 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 has got a lot of nutritive value um, and is made from wholesome materials for the most part. And, uh, you know, the alcohol is beneficial and various other components as well. And there's materials in beer, you just won't find them in wine. So in terms of, of that and, and the ability to pair with food and responsibility, I think all of those are very uh, worthwhile messages. Um, uh, I think that uh, it's entirely reasonable. You see, I, I personally do not believe that uh, things like um, a brewing enzyme uh, will take us away from that wholesomeness at all. If, however, uh, beer was made um, in a radically different way and, and – um, We've talked about this in the past, where you, you basically take a cheap old alcohol source and you mix in flavors and so on. Then, no, I don't think we can then um, uh, celebrate that as, uh, as a thing of great beauty. But with the best will in the world, you know, if you go back to a brewery in, in, uh, and you look at some of the descriptions of breweries in, say, uh, London in uh, the 1500, 15th century, 1400s, you look at the shape of that brewery, the equipment and the, 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 the layout is instantly recognizable. So although we've got far better at the science, you know, we're still, for the most part, for most of us, are using primarily malted barley uh, or, or wheat. Uh, we're still using hops in some form or another. We're still using hops. It may be a pellet. It may be an extract. For some people, it's still whole cone hops. You know, water is still the main component of any beer, and we still worry about the water composition. We're still using Saccharomyces, uh, Cerevisiae, or Pastorianus. We're, we're still doing those things. 
Um, it's just that we're we're very good at the system, and we've tweaked it. We, you know, we've we, we've used the occasional enzyme here or there for some of us. Um, for a long time now, we've been using things like Isinglass finings in some places. It's a very traditional thing now for Cascales in in England, but you know. Um, it is a, 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 a historic product, but you know, for a lot of people in the world, they'd say, "God, fish protein, do me a favor." But it, you know, it, it, you could still talk about traditional values there. So, so the reality is that I don't think that it, it, in most beers worldwide, on whatever scale, I don't believe there are a million miles um, from the, the mainstream, the main architect blueprint. A blueprint, if you like, uh, because we're still talking about extracts of grain and fermenting them uh, and spicing them with hops. Uh, and for the most part, that applies to most beers. So I think uh, the, 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 the argument is extremely strong. If you look at wine, you know, in the world, the world of wine, you know, people are using, you know, grape juice concentrates and sugars and, you know, copper to, to mop up hydrogen sulfide and, and you know there's an awful lot going on in uh, the world of wine that you know is um under wraps should we say um you know the you know over here over here um in in the states you know if you've got uh, more than 10 milligrams per liter of sulfur dioxide in, a, in an alcoholic beverage you've got to label it you you can't find a beer that's labeled with the words contain sulfites over here but you'll find them on all the wine labels for good reasons but you know, even that, in that, we've got the moral high ground. So I would, I would stand up in a, uh, you know, and I would defend the position of beer as being um, the more, the more worthy and the more wholesome of the two, um, whilst holding my hands up and saying, but I'm very, very embarrassed about what some people are doing. Do you? I guess the, the thrust of that question was: Do you think that um, that the large brewers are scared um, of admitting just how techni- technologically advanced they are? Because we live in a world where um, you know people are just instinctively fearful of things like GMO. If, if GMO is thrown on, or or science, people have a, a feeling that natural is better, um, and, and it's almost a hysterical reaction against science. Yeah, the, the, and, and that's you know, specifically talking about GMO. That is, that is very, very true. Um, back in the uh, 1990s, when I was um, director of research at the Brewing BRF International Brewing Research Foundation International in in Nutfield, I mean John Hammond, one of our team, uh, came up with the world's first approved genetically modified yeast, and nobody's ever used it. And the reason they've never used it is is because you know. Beer, it, it's not economically worthwhile. It, uh, you, you can do things in making beer that uh, are much cheaper options. And, you, and whatever the goal is of genetic modification, you can find a, another way to do it that does not involve putting the words uh, product of gene technology on the label. Uh, I'll never forget that over here, um, that very big brewing company over here, his, uh, historically based in St. Louis, I mean, they gave us $5 million to, to uh, kickstart a project to build a new building. Tremendously generous, and they want so for the simple reason they wanted brewing to succeed at, at UC Davis, irrespective of where the people were going to go. Um, but but a uh, you know soon after they gave they wrote the check, um, one of my colleagues on 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 campus uh, in another department came up with genetically modified rice, and and the very fact that the words UC Davis rice 
and genetic modification, um, you know, somebody doing a Google search could also find Anheuser Bush on Google close to that, even though the genetically modified rice had nothing to do with making Budweiser. That was a step too near. To, to, I mean, that's too dangerous. Just, the, just the association, and that is the paranoia that 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 that, that, that brewers have. So, um, in some parts of the world, including this country, and there's a, there is a great reluctance to to uh, stray too far for the mainstream beers, too far from their concept of traditional. Um, and so, there is many a big brewing company that if they don't have to, they will not use a commercial enzyme. Uh, Brewers Clarix presents an opportunity. Therefore, there's a very logical reason to to use it to make a certain product efficiently uh, with a guaranteed very, very low, if at all, any of the gluten-sensitive material. Um, So that would be um, considered. But something like beta-glucanase, no, you'd just change the mashing temperature to deal with the beta-glucans. Why would you put an enzyme in? Um, so, 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 yeah. Uh, there, there are many a brewer, many a brewer that is is very traditional uh, still. Well, Charlie, I look. I could honestly speak to you for hours about this, but uh, for the purposes of this show, we probably can't uh, go any longer. But okay. the good news is that you are heading down under again in two months' time for the Institute of Brewing Distilling. Uh, World Conference or uh, South Pacific Conference. Yeah, uh, it's in Sydney and uh, it's in March. And uh, so I'm the president of the IBD, so I'm very much looking forward to it. You know, I'm not saying this just because I'm on this show, but, you know, I go to meetings all over the world. But the uh, the, the uh, Asia-Pacific meeting of the IBD every two years is my favorite. Uh, you know, we, we it's rotated, um, goes to various places. But it's the one I enjoy the most, and I I, I love coming to Sydney. I, I love coming to Sydney, and uh, I'm very much uh, looking forward to it, and hopefully we can catch up and have a beer. That would be wonderful. We might even be able to uh, do a live podcast from the pub and uh, get some of the listeners along to ask, uh, maybe probe some of these questions and many, many others. Would love that. That would be really very, very good indeed. Wonderful, Charlie. Always good to talk, and uh, right. we look forward to seeing you in a few months' time in Sydney. All right. Thanks, Matt. Cheers. Bye-bye. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. And hopefully you can see why uh, we love speaking to uh, Charlie. Unfortunately, Pete couldn't be here for this interview with Charlie because he's a a big fan as well. But do uh, keep an eye on the website and listening to the podcast because if it's at all possible to fit it into Charlie's schedule... We will try and set a uh, set up a podcast in the pub um, where we speak to Charlie um, and give you the chance to, if you're in Sydney or if you're in town for the IBD or willing to make the trip, and it certainly is uh, worth it, uh, coming along, having a beer with Charlie and asking all the questions and having a bit of a discussion about the uh, um, philosophy and science of beer. Now, uh, moving on, we did talk a little bit about... Um, 
science and uh, art of beer. Um, and we're now speaking to Nigel Metz, who is one of the founders of Lucky Bay Brewing in Esperance, Western Australia. And one of the beers that they've brought out um, is made from 85% raw barley. As anyone who knows beer will know, most beers are made from barley that goes through the malting process that sees the starches broken down, ready for the brewer to use. Um, because enzymes do that in the malting process, uh, there have been a number of uh, companies that have developed enzymes that will do that for you. So rather than going through the malting process, you can just add. Um, we, we talk about this in the interview with Nigel. So that's just setting the scene um, for you and letting you know why this next interview is well worth uh, uh, listening to. So uh, we'll get on and uh, have a chat to Nigel. Um, I've been working... Um in sort of grains R and D, I come from a farming background, and I um, work for a, I work for a farm group in Esperance called Southeast Premium Wheat Growers Association, and um, we've been working in grain quality for probably oh, more than a decade, and sort of that's how I ended up bumping around amongst brewers and monsters. Okay, and so has, has a focus of your um, background in, in barley been barley for malting and brewing? Yeah, it was. I mean, we started off, um, one of the research projects I, I worked on earlier on was looking at um, genetic purity of varieties and testing of that um, at a farm level. Um, and the reason being is uh, that uh, that affects uh, germination uh, variability in the malt house. So it affects malt house throughput and modification factors in your malt. So that was my first exposure to sort of like, oh, here's how what we do at a farm level impacts in it at the brewing and malting level and, and that was a, a pretty interesting insight what, what made you i know that you've uh, said you were kicking around with uh, brewers um what what, what made you uh, decide to throw your hat in and get into the regular the, the relative mugs game of brewing <laughs> um look i guess the, um in terms of uh, interest level i mean coming from a, an agricultural background uh, growing crops is, is, is pretty interesting um, and essentially, we're almost doing the same thing in brewing, except we're growing yeast inside a tank. And uh, there's all sorts of interacting factors that affect the crop, and, and there's all sorts of interacting factors that affect the beer inside a tank. So that's sort of um, what attracted me to it. Is it's, there's always something new to learn, and I'm like, well, geez, that's 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 a great challenge. Um, I just need to remind myself sometimes when uh, when I get snuck up behind me and something I completely missed pops its head out. But um, so far, so good. Now, the, the thing that uh, brought us to you in this on this occasion is quite apart from you've uh, started your brewery, Lucky Bay Brewing, that has uh, just recently launched. Um, one of the beers that you've launched with is essentially a raw barley beer. Um, and just for listeners who may not uh, fully understand the implications of that, um, you know, beer is made from barley or wheat or other grains, but... They, the, the, the starches in raw barley aren't immediately fermentable um, by the yeast. And so the malting process um, starts the process of converting those starches into sugars that can be fermented. Um, and part of that is seeing the development of enzymes that come to the, the, the fore during the uh, brewer's mashing process. Is that a fair summary of, uh, of, of traditional brewing? Yeah, that is absolutely. I mean, I guess uh, the the idea of brewing, brewing with raw grain has is not been new. You know, there's a lot of recipes out there that use raw grain adjunct, and there's some you know some really leading brands in the Australian 
markets um, uh, that use raw grain and in some images in their the commercial beers. Can, can, so you, can you name any? Can you name any of those, or are you able to tell us? Uh, look, no, it would be probably. It, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be right. But you know, there's there's some. Uh, you know, the, I think the th- that's probably the third biggest brand in their marketplace uses some some raw grain in their in some of their brews. Uh, and there's a uh, you know. Especially the the more experienced brewers have been in the industry for 20 or so years, that experimenting with raw grain inclusions probably 20 or 30 years ago, um, and essentially our technology has come a long way since then. Um, but you're right in terms of uh, when I take raw grain from a farmer locally, um, it's not modified, so I need to add those enzymes in, the enzymes that are normally created. In the in the malting process, um, and, and and that's the key to it, isn't it? You can't just uh, go and grab the the raw barley and brew with it the usual way. You actually have to modify the the, the mashing process and the grains. You, you add the enzymes into to the mash tun. I take it. Yeah, you do, and so and and you have to. Um, it is a more complicated mashing process. And um, um, some of the feedback from some of the larger scale brewers said, look, we probably wouldn't do that. That's, that's going to slow our brew house efficiency down a little. Um, but at a craft level, you, you know, you, you undertake such things because, you know, your product is handmade. It's not bashing through eight brews, uh, an eight-hour brew. It's, um, it's you know, a, a dedicated day we're going to make a certain beer. Um, and what really stared me in the face is that you know, I, I work with farmers locally here. Um, we grow five to 600,000 tonne of barley and it all just goes on a ship straight out the door. Um, and, you know, you can't imagine the pride of, um, of one of the local farmers um, when he said, this is my barley, to, to his friends at, a, at one of the meetings and, uh, and, and they were pouring a keg. It, it really represents one of the biggest shifts in brewing since, you know, way back when the Sumerians discovered that if you put bread in water, it would ferment because the the the, the, the sugars became fermentable. Um, doing this way, you're really taking out that uh, very important, what has always been an important step of the, the malting process and fundamentally changing the way that brewing is done by putting raw grain and adding the enzymes to, to the brewing phase. Would, would you agree with that? It's correct, but it's multi-malting um, framework that um, makes up the building industry, but really, um, you know, it has its own uh, unique characteristics, and we're, we're only using uh, that characteristic or that, that raw barley for one of our beers. Um, you know, for example, the Kolsch that sits alongside it um, is 100% Australian malt and 100% malt beer. So... Beer will always be made predominantly out of malt, and even with our um, with our raw barley, we're still adding some specialty malts to provide that tweaking of certain flavour profile that we're after. And and, and what flavour profile does it deliver? Because I mean, if you'll just, uh, I might read you something. Um, Charlie Bamforth, who's the UC Davis uh, um, professor of brewing, the Pope of Foam, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, the Pope of Foam, yeah. Um, he uh, in in his book a couple of years ago, um, beer the Be- uh, not beer the beautiful truth. That's the line. Nathan campaign. Um, uh, beer is proof that God loves us. He he talked about how um, enzyme companies were pushing enzymes back a few years ago, and uh, he says rather than use uh, uh, so rather than use uh, malt, uh, rather use raw barley together with enzymes from bacteria and fungi 
that they will readily, the um, enzyme company will readily su supply you with. There is nothing technically, technically novel here, although the marketing push is very clever indeed. Um, the problem remains one of taste. Malt makes a meaningful contribution to the flavour of many beers. Barley is, well, grainy and astringent. One would have great difficulty trying to match the taste and aroma of a given brand made on the one hand with malt and the other from raw barley. So maybe I haven't had the chance to try your all, uh, barley beer. Maybe you could sort of talk us through what the flavour profile is and yeah. how it just differs from um, some of the others in your range. Yeah, and I would say that astringency, um, graininess um, was what we started off with. And over time, we worked out how to modify things in terms of um, use of specialty malts as well as change a hopping regime. Um, so that's why you've got 15%. Um, it's only 85% unmalted barley, isn't it? Exactly. So that's where that's where the um, those specialty malts really come in and play their role. Uh, you know, in some of the feedback we had from one of the large, uh, when we were working on this uh, sort of a, a market development project for Australian grain, was that the same deal it was quite astringent and harsh. Um, I think possibly um, a little bit too much temperature for mashing could do that. Um, and we, you know, it took us a while to learn this and, and, and to come together with a flavour profile we were happy with. Um, what it does do is provides a very drinkable beer when it's done right. And you know, the great irony is that the big brewers have been adding sugar for years to, to cut down uh, the, sort of the, the volume or, or that mouth fullness that malt can give for an all-malt beer so people drink plenty. But here we're still using all barley and we get a very easy drinking beer, but without adding sugar. You mentioned that a couple of the big brewers are using uh, unmalted barley in, in their beers but it, it affects the efficiency in the brew house. What are they using uh, all, bar all, all barley beers for? Oh, sorry, what, what are they using the, the unmalted barley in their beers for in, in, in the larger beers? Um, so they're using them as, as small, minor additions of, of basically you know, uh, raw grain adjuncts. So they rely on the enzymes that come out of your traditional malt. And I mean, it's probably, it's only very small proportions in Australia. Um, and generally speaking, Australian, the big brewers don't, don't do that in Australia. Traditionally, they've used um, a liquid adjunct, um, i.e. sugar. Um, whereas in Southeast Asia, where they traditionally use a lot of rice, you know, where there's some beers up to so 60% rice, they're not, not great beers, but, you know, they use what's cheap and local that really affects its flavour profile. And one of the things we were looking at when we were doing the market development work for the grains industry was if we could muscle some of that rice out of their, their, their grist mix, it would be good for Australian farmers. But also, it dramatically improved their beer quality. Um, we did get one brewery in Vietnam to do a test, test brew, and they were sort of 50% rice, 50% malt traditionally. And they changed over to 50% barley, 50% malt. And they were really happy with that. Uh, it's just the only thing was rice was still cheaper because it was local. Do, do you think we'll see brewers starting to move towards that? I, I guess that that's, uh, before we do that, um, what was your um, reason for using barley over malt um, for, for this particular beer? Was it a cost saving or was it um, for the flavour profile or what was the, uh, what, what was the desired aim? Uh, no, it, 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 it was it was it was about the locality. It, it, you know, it it enables me to connect with my local community, um, it enables me to connect with the local farmers, um, and and gives them ownership of the product. 
Um, whereas, you know, as I was saying before, we grow more than half a million tonnes of barley each year here, and it all goes on a on a boat out out the door um, into Southeast Asia and into China for for malting and and feed. Um, so that's really what uh, it gave us a you know a sense of locality, to which you you know you expect from a local brewery. Now, did, did, is the quality of the um, barley um, the, the same quality as you would use for malting, or did it give you a little bit more leeway in these barley specs um, to, to use it unmalted? Um, in terms of barley specs, there is a slight variation, and, and um, you know, fortunate the University of Tasmania did a lot of work in this area of testing different specifications and also the genetic backgrounds of different barley varieties. And uh, essentially, we were able to then handpick certain varieties and certain specifications that suited us. And uh, yeah, so there is, is a slight variation from the malting specification. Did, does that make it easier for the farmers to attain a, a beer grade barley um, if, if, if the specification is a little bit different to what's required for malting? Yeah, I think it would um, in some cases. Um, Grain size is important, um, so it does also probably widen, or it, it changes uh, the genetic focus too. I mean, you know, traditionally we've had a sort of Gardner Bodan um, type focus in, in our market for our malt exports. Um, I'm not necessarily beholden to those varieties, so it does give me a lot of flexibility there as well. One of the other things you described, and you, you alluded to it in an earlier question, is um, you, you describe uh, a push for less flavour attenuated beers, um, or sort of for more flavour attenuated beers, and that that was one of the things you found with using the unmalted barley. What what does that mean in sort of taste terms? Uh, in taste terms, we were able to get a full flavour um, and of barley, and what I really noticed is. Uh, you know, those Asian beers, those Southeast Asian breweries, once they started to push the rice envelope much beyond about 30%, it really did affect its flavour adversely. So we were able to not get any of that. Um, so we still get like a full barley flavoured beer, which is you know, essentially the same as the malt beer, but there's just a few little different characteristics. Um, and in that way, it does make it a little bit unique. So, so full flavoured without being too heavy is another way I've seen you described it. Um, so, are we talking about a fairly light lager, you know, an Australian-style lager that you've developed? Uh, no, we're, I mean, we call it, ours is a barley pale ale, so essentially it's um, a fairly, uh, very drinkable pale ale. It's, um, you know, very similar to some of the, the, the well, not very similar in flavour profile, but it's a similar drinkability to, say, um, um, a 150 Lashes or a Cooper's pale ale, but obviously its flavour profile is different. And, and how does the um, unmalted barley uh, or, or the use of the, the um, industrial enzymes um, change some of the, uh, the composition of the beer? Like, how does it compare on carbs to a to a standard beer that has about 12 uh, grams of carbs in? <laughs> so, in terms of carbs, it's all got to do with your alcohol, and also if you want low carb beer, you just add enzymes. So, I mean, enzyme use is is regular in, in most brew houses. So any of those low-carb beers that have just added um, a, a low-carb enzyme to that. Um, and the brewers, in terms of brew house efficiency, it's it's a wonderful idea. You get lots lots more bang for your buck in terms of your extract um, because it ferments right out. Um, but in terms of carbs, it would be much the same, I would imagine. I haven't done the math on it.
Oh, okay. So, but, but you would anticipate that the, the carbs in uh, the barley beer would be fairly similar to a, a similar um, malt-based beer. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, if I if I blind tasted it without this conversation occurring, you wouldn't know it is made from more barley. You would think it's more malt beer. So, so, so really, it's just a case of it, it, it's a technical. Um, approach that lets you use local barley um, as being the main driver for for the creation of this beer? Oh, absolutely. I mean, when I was working with the University of Tasmania, there was a guy there by the name of Kevin Reid, and he worked in the hospitality industry and said, you know, beer malt comes from a long way away. So, like, it's just, you know, in the restaurant industry, if you've got something local, it's just it's a winner. And he's like, you know, people should be able to do this for beer as well. And that was probably one of the key instigators of the whole idea. You used the. Um, you, you talked about it being sort of handcrafted, and you alluded to to um, craft um, earlier in our chat. One of the things that is always, um, you know, there have been various legs of the of, of the tripod um, uh, around what craft is, and one of those is um, traditional. You know, brewing that's uh, you know more traditional than perhaps the biggest brewers have have more recently been doing. Do you see a, a highly um, scientific innovation such as this um, moving the, the beer away from uh, uh, you know, that, that um, easy notion of craft, or does this still fit within the craft mould, even though it you know, uses that very scientific approach or the, the highly you know, industrial approach? Uh, I, would, I wouldn't necessarily say it's industrial. It is, it is certainly um, a little bit more unique. Um, look, if you're gonna if you're gonna make beer that's consistent and of, of a good quality, you need science, you need hygiene, and you know you know it's it, it'll, it's an absolute fluke to make a good beer if you don't rely on science all throughout the brewing process. I mean, as soon as you take a gravity of a beer, you are employing science to measure that beer. So to me, the separation of science and brewing. Um, it just doesn't occur. You know, brewing to, is incredibly reliant on it, and that's what makes it such an interesting thing to work in. Terrific. Well, Nigel, hopefully I'll get a chance to get over to check out the uh, Lucky Bay Brewing in Esperance and uh, try the beer uh, for myself. Do you have plans? Is it just very much a local beer, or do you have plans to send it more widely? Um, look, uh, yeah, we've, we're just planning to stay local at the moment um, because, you know, that's, that's, that's our, our aim. Um, I guess uh, we would probably experiment to send you a little bit widely, but really um, that's more about just swapping beers and, and just experiencing new things. So, I, I, um, And we're seeing that a lot in WF. We have uh, guest hats by some of the craft brewers, and I really love going to somewhere like the Sail and Anchor and walking in there and going, well, who's on now and, and what does their beer taste like? And, uh, you know, that's, that's something we'd look at. But, um, yeah, we, our real aim is to stay local. Terrific. Well, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Brews News and all the best with Lucky Bay Brewing. No, thank you very much. In the garden, what a garden. Only happy faces bloom there. So there you go. Fascinating stuff. Love to hear your thoughts as always. Um, I won't do cards and letters uh, this episode because... Uh, we have had a couple of uh, great reviews on iTunes and also some comments left on Facebook and uh, our the, the home Brews News, which is brewsnews.com.au. Um, I'll wait till Pete's back with me so we can uh, 
talk through those together and uh, rubbish each other where appropriate. But if you do like the show, um, please help other people find it. Please jump on your favorite podcasting platform, uh, iTunes or anywhere else, and leave a comment um, and, and a rating, which helps our uh, ratings and helps other people find us and uh, let us do what we're doing and do it for a reason, which is um, hopefully not speaking to ourselves. So please do that, and we will read out. Um, if you do have any comments or thoughts, you can email us, editor at bruisednews.com.au, or leave a comment on Facebook or in uh, the comment section of the website. But uh, we do hope that you've had a great Christmas um, and really enjoyed the season. Really looking forward to the show next week where we count down the hottest 100. And uh, speaking about comments and thoughts and feedback, please either give us a call during the show. If your Australia Day is a little bit too busy and you can't, uh, give us a call uh, afterwards or just send us some comments and let us know what you think of the hottest 100. Anyway, hope you all had a wonderful Christmas and uh, you've hit the new year running Look forward to chatting with you in Pete's company very, very soon. I'm Matt Kirkegaard, and uh, Lockie, take us out. Mm-hmm.